Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, welcome this morning, and we're so glad that you are here. And I want you to get your Bibles out and your outline out. They've only given me a two-hour time slot, so I hope you're ready. Who is glad to be here this morning? I know I am. I grew up in church. Ever since I was just a, a, a little, little tiny guy, we went to church. Both of my grandfathers were pastors. Grandma, on both sides, played the organ and taught Sunday school. Grandma used flannel graph to teach us about the Bible characters, and one of my grandmothers played an accordion. Most of you will have to go Google both of those things to figure that out. Flannel graph, accordion. My dad was a pastor. My mom played the organ and the piano while I was growing up. So I've been in church my whole life. Uh, there, there's one story that I've been told over and over again, I, I think to humiliate me, uh, that when I was just a, a little wee fella, I climbed under the pews from the front of the church all the way to the back while my daddy was preaching. I've just been in church. It was never a conversation at my house whether or not we were going to church. We didn't talk about it. It was understood. We were going to church. I think I was two weeks old the first time I went to church, and every subsequent service after that, I've been in church. When I left home at 18, I went to church. Unlike maybe some of you, I never had one of those phases in life where I just decided I wasn't going to go. I've just been in church. When I got married, we went to church. When we had kids, we packed up the bags and strapped in the car seats, and we beat them from the moment they woke up all the way into the car so we could go to church. Amen. Sometimes they need a little bit of persuasion to get there. It was just never a question. We just, we just went to church. When I think back on all those years now of going to church, I can't remember ever doing anything other than just going to church, attending church. I had my spot. Some churches have those spots. Some churches are okay with that, and they've got your name plate on a pew somewhere or a chair at your, at your spot. And you go, and your job is to hold that chair down. Hold that pew down, don't let it go. But all those years, when I think back on it, I was just attending. I was just there. I was just a part of the service only to sit and hold down my pew. I remember talking to Julie, my wife, after the kids were kindergarten, first, second grade, whatever, we would come home from church after a great service, a, a great message, and we would, 
we would ask ourselves the question, isn't there more to this? Isn't something missing? What, what, are, we, what are we missing? What is going on? It felt like you know, we had all the pieces put together, but there was still some type of hole that we couldn't figure out what it was. And I remember standing on the front porch of our little house in Dallas, North Carolina, saying there has to be more to this. But we couldn't really put our fingers on it. We really didn't know what we were doing wrong. We were going through the motions, and everything seemed to be lined up, and we were making the drive, and we got the kids in their classes, and we showed up in the worship service. And it, but there's just something was missing, and we couldn't figure out exactly what it was. shift gears on you just a little bit. Go with me, if you would, to Stanford University in California. It's, it's 1958. A surgeon by the name of Norman Shumway achieves the first successful heart transplant in a dog. He took the heart out of one dog, put it in another, and it worked. Nine years later, on December 3rd, 1967, a 53-year-old man named Louis Washkansky received the first human heart transplant at a hospital in Cape Town, South Africa. According to the Mayo Clinic, heart transplant is a treatment that is usually reserved for people who, get this, have tried other remedies or surgeries, but their conditions have not sufficiently improved. Don't miss that. They've tried other remedies, perhaps other surgeries, but their conditions have not improved. The procedure involves the removal of your old diseased and, and failing heart and installation of a donor heart. Installation of one that is healthy, that's compatible, that can adequately provide and sustain the flow of life-giving blood into the recipient. You see, we all have a problem. As I look back over my own life, I look back all over those years where, we, where I sat in my pew and I, I went through the motions, I realized that I had a problem. That we all have a condition. And the condition is, are you ready? We're all self-centered. We're all self-centered. We're all flesh-driven. We're all pride-focused. We're power-hungry people. You say, thanks a lot for cheering me up this morning. Well, I'm just telling you. Because I'm one of you too. We're all in the same condition. That's our problem. You see, we have a natural tendency and, and the way the world teaches us to, to look at ourselves and look at our, our families and our lives as we grow up is to be selfish. Am I right? They say, you, you got to get yours. You, you need to step on whoever you need to step on to get there. you got to climb the corporate ladder. It, you can do it. you just got to go for it. it. The world teaches us to be selfish, to satisfy our own desires. Our, our natural tendency is to, to hoard up wealth. How much can I get? Where can I store it? to accumulate possessions, to meet our own needs, to look out for number one. That's what the world wants to teach us. Now, this doesn't take God by surprise. You say, well, that's not a revelation to him. He, he knew that. He, he made us. He created us. So he knows our natural tendencies. It doesn't take God by surprise. Not at all. He knows our humanity. 
That's the beautiful thing about Christianity is that God is not just this, this being somewhere and, and he doesn't understand what we deal with. He sent his son Jesus to earth to be a human being, to experience the things that you and I experience so he could understand our humanity. That's good news, amen? We don't worship a God that doesn't understand who we are. He's used to dealing with people that are in this humanistic, self-centered situation. If you don't believe me, crack open your Bible, read through some of the Old Testament. You'll see people that are self-centered. They're going after their own thing. Even after God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, it didn't take long and the people turned their backs and started saying, what about me? Self-centered. God's used to it. He's used to seeing how people act. But here's the good news this morning. He can change us. He can change us. He he not only understands us, but he has the ability and the power to change us. And he does some of this changing by this great opportunity that he seems to always offer us at a specific time. And let me give you that word, and you can write it down. It's just going to be powerful in your life as it was for mine. And that word is serve. I don't understand God's plan. You say, well, you're, you're one of the pastors. You're supposed to know everything. Well, I don't. Surprise. I don't understand how he operates. I, I don't understand why he waits. I don't understand why he seems to delay. I, I don't understand a lot. The more I think I understand and the more I read this book, the really the less I know. It, 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 the more I look into this mirror, the more I realize I am so far from that. And so I don't understand this principle of serving. But I can tell you this, part of God's plan for you and for me is to serve. It's to serve people. So somewhere along about 1999 or 2000, somewhere in that era, while we were all filling our bathtubs because we were told that the power was going to go out and we weren't going to have any water. Do you remember that? Well, we had jugs of everything that we could possibly fill with water because we thought as soon as midnight struck, we were done for, apocalyptic type thing, zombie action. You know what I'm saying? Some of you weren't even on the planet. It's okay. You didn't miss a whole lot there. But somewhere in that era, 1999, 2000, somewhere in there, in the midst of those conversations that Julie and I were having on the front porch about our faith and and church and, and, and that there had to be more to all of this, I received a heart transplant. Not the physical one, as maybe some of you have actually had. And praise God for medical technology and the ability to actually do what I described to you earlier. That is a miracle in itself. But somewhere along that time frame, I received a heart transplant. The transplant that I got wasn't so much physical. It was was more one that contains a person's soul. It contains a person's conscience. It's the part of a person that that is the essence of who you are. And so when you read through the Old Testament and they use the word heart, that's the heart that we're talking about that was transplanted. Not so much the physical muscle that pumps blood through our bodies, but the essence and the soul of a person. I received a heart transplant. Well, one Sunday I was just happy, as I described earlier, to sit and hold my pew down, and the next Sunday I was an usher. 
the next Sunday, the next Wednesday night, Julie and I were serving and volunteering in the kids' room, and there was little ankle butter rascals running all around, and I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing in here? It just was a transplant. It just changed. It just went from one thing to another, and then we started to notice that there were people in our hometown that were in need. Where did these people come from, and did they just get here? No. The eyes of our hearts were opened and we saw some of those needs and we were able to do some things about some of those needs. And so we, we took every opportunity that came up to, to use those new hearts that God had given us. And here's what happened to me. I started my life that I never dreamed possible. I started to see things through a different light. I like to go back now and, and say, I started to see people through God's eyes. Will you write that down? I started to see people with this new heart that God had put there through God's eyes. I started to see their humanity. I started to see their needs. I started to see who they really were. And so here we are 20 years later from that moment. And I'm identifying this change that happened in my life that all seems to go back and start with the moment of this transplant and start with the moment of, of serving and I'm asking myself this question, and I'm analyzing it and contemplating it, because y'all know me, and you know that I spend hours doing that. How can I get across to you? How can I get across to those of you who are watching on Facebook? How, how can I get across this message of, you may need a heart transplant too. There might be something that you need in your life that you don't have, and that's A on your outline. When it comes to serving we need a change of heart. When it comes to serving, we need a change of heart. I don't know how many times I have contemplated, thought, talked to people and said, now we're going to get real this morning, just hold on. Why don't people serve? Why don't people serve? Why is it that there seems to be a lack, there seems to be a shortage of people who are willing to put the first step forward and say, I'll serve. Where do you need me? What is going on at this place? What can I do to help? And, and the only thing that I can come up with, and I think it's the right answer, because we're all busy. Amen? Throw that out. We all have families and extended families and complicated families and irritating families. Should I go on? Throw that out. We all have jobs and things to do. Throw that out. So what could be the reason why we seem to lack people to serve? And this is what I've landed on. Something's wrong in their heart. They need a heart transplant. Something's not right. Why in the world did I sit on the pew at my local church for years and years and years, I'm trying to do the math in my head right now, but I'm saying 30 years I sat. And I never even thought, maybe I'm supposed to do that. Maybe I'm supposed to go there. Maybe it's me who's supposed to be doing ministry. Now, with the history that I just told you a little while ago about grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, you would have... Y'all are saying, well, you're a little bit thick. 
You should have seen that coming. I didn't. It never occurred to me that I would ever be standing in front of you. But something changed. There was a transplant. Something happened. You see, let me put it a little bit differently. It's potentially the case that we all need our heart changed this morning. We contemplated whether or not that comes with time, age, social situation. I don't know. We, we contemplated all those things. And I said, you know what it boils down to? It boils down to needing our hearts changed. Now, can I show you something real quick? That's a yes or no question. Something I found this week. It blows me away. You guys know that I get into my scripture and I start digging, right? I got to set this up for you. It's in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Now go there with me. They're going to put it on the screen in a second. Don't put it there yet. Don't, play it. don't, don't, don't spoil the surprise. I got to set this up for you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, let me tell you what's going on. Now this is the Old Testament, so I've already lost some of you. The Israelites, God's chosen people, right? They're, they're living in this land that God had given them. That's important right there. God said when he brought them out of Egypt, when he brought them out of slavery, he said, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give it to you. And they said, yay. And then they realized they had to kind of be obedient. Eventually, generations later, they got there. They're living in the promised land if we went back and did a little history, we could, we could see that the promised land was a place of milk and plenty. The grapes were like this big. This wasn't just like, we're barely getting by. This was the promised land God had given them. And so they have just come out of Egypt, and they finally make it to the promised land. They defeated all these different pagan nations, and they finally made it there. And while they were living in the land, they defiled it, the Bible says. They defiled that land that God gave them. It was their conduct and their actions, Ezekiel says, that defiled the land. Think about that. It was their conduct and their actions. You would have thought they'd have had that stuff straight by now. But Ezekiel says, I'm setting you up for the verse I want you to see, that they defiled it with the conduct and their action. That blows me away. What were they doing? They were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping idols. They were doing all of the things that God said, hey, when I, get, when I get you to the promised land, don't do these things. Those were the things that they were doing. And so what, God's, what does God do? God allows the enemies of Israel, the lands and the nations around Israel, to come in and remove them from the land. He took it away from them. That's called exile. They came in, Babylonia, Assyria, all of these other nations came in, took over the cities and took the people and took them back to their own native land so the Israelites were no longer in the promised land. Who's following me right now? It was taken away from them. They're gone. Exiled to another place. But because of that, because they were in another nation, in Babylonia, in Assyria, in some other place, Ezekiel through God, wrote that they were profaning the name of the Lord while they were there. So they couldn't handle their business while they were home in the promised land. Now they're exiled to another place, and they're profaning the name of the Lord. They were doing that, God says, and don't miss this. He says this, I'm going to gather you back. He said, because you can't handle your business at home, you couldn't handle your business abroad, here's what I'm going to do, God says. I'm going to bring you back. This is so important, don't miss this. 
He says, I'm going to bring you back from those exiled lands. And then we get to chapter 36, verse 26. Spring it on them. Here it is. He says, I will give you, read it with me, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I don't know if the light bulb's gone off in some of your heads yet, so let me, let me try to get it there real quick. We couldn't do it on our own. They tried multiple ways and, and multiple surgeries, if you will, and multiple procedures to have their hearts remedied so that they would work correctly, and they could not do it. And God said, I'm going to bring you back, and in doing so, I am going to give you a new heart. That's a heart transplant right there. That's a, a time and a place where God says, let me have that old one, and let me put this one in you, and it's a new spirit. It's not a heart of stone, Ezekiel says. It's a heart of stone that's being taken out, and it's a heart of flesh that's being put back. He goes on in verse 27 to say, and I will put my spirit in you. Who is thankful this morning for God's spirit in them? He will put a new spirit in you. And I love this part, move you, verse 27 says, to follow my decrees and my commands. Don't miss that, move you. He's compelling them. He said, not only am I going to give you a new heart, I'm going to take the old one out. I'm going to instill in you a heart. I'm going to drop my spirit in there. Hallelujah. And then I'm going to move you. I'm going to compel you to do what? To follow my decrees and my laws. Isn't that amazing? God knew exactly what these people needed. They had hearts of stone, meaning they weren't pliable. Their hearts were, were calloused. There had been other remedies and and, and, and treatments applied, and, and all of those things had failed. But God, will you say that with me this morning? But God. He knew exactly what they needed, and he said, I've got a remedy for this. You need a heart transplant. I can fix this, and I'm going to compel you to follow my decrees. It's a beautiful process of redemption. Who's with me? And here's some great news for you. The God of the Israelites that changed their hearts, changed my heart. And the God that changed my heart can change your heart. He's the same God today that he was then. And here's what I truly, truly believe. I believe that Connections Church, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, I believe that we all need this morning our hearts changed. We all need a transplant. We need something new, something, something fresh. We need a revolution of care, concern, we, assistance, ownership, work in some cases, effort, love. We need to be renewed in that area where we place other people above our own selfish desires. After all, wasn't it Jesus who said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and here's what I would call that type of revolution in our thinking. I would call that a servolution. Thank you, Scott. So how do we get to a point of servolution? What particular areas has God called us to service 
and how do we have that uh, unique heart change? Um, in case you missed it, we're concluding today's series that's called DIY. So just like in a home makeover, you have to identify that there's a problem. You have to get the specific areas that need to be fixed, and you have to make a plan to fix it and put efforts towards it. Um, so today, I want you to walk with me, if you would, just imagine, right? Just, just, this is interactive today. I want you to imagine that your hearts are the house to be remodeled and to be renovated today, okay? Is everybody good with that? All right, so your hearts, as Scott has mentioned, is the one that needs change. It needs renovation, all right? So DIY, we are doing a home makeover right here in our hearts, okay? So Scott's already identified the problem with our house, and that is our natural tendency towards selfishness and our reluctancy to serve. So our selfishness today is like the mold in our house, all right? So we all have a little bit of mold, right? But we need to know what rooms are affected what areas of our life needs to be renovated. So there are six areas that I'm going to cover over the next hour and a half um, that we're going to have to address as it pertains to serving. Are you guys awake? All right, let's do it. we got a lot of content and a short time to do it in, so I'm going to rush through it. Now, if I start wandering off over here and on left field, you're going to bring me back, right? All right, we're going to stick to the script. If I start wandering off in right field, y'all going to bring me back. All right, we got three legs over here. We can do it. All right. So number one under section B of your outline is serve the Lord. Uh, this may seem a little bit obvious, but what I love about this scripture right here is we keep that on the screen. As, as God begins to deepen your relationship with Christ and deepen your knowledge and understanding of this God-breathed word and your understanding of how to actually in, interpret and study this word, I'm already off to the left. You didn't stop me. Look, 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 there you go. As he begins to, to allow you the ability to study and grow, it's little words, right, that make such a big difference. Have you ever been reading, depends on what translation you're reading, whether it be ESV, uh, NLT, New King James, WBTV, I don't know. Whatever it may be, uh, you know, you might see little words. Like, for instance, New Te uh, Old Testament, you'll see the word Lord, uh, that one little word, Lord, and it's like, it's all caps, but it's small caps. Or you'll see it in the next sentence, and it says Lord, but it's got a, a capital L and no caps. Or that's, that's caps. But it's, it's there to signify different meanings in the way that the writer meant it, right? Whether it be Jehovah or Yahweh. So I want to focus in on this, this word Lord. Serve the Lord. Again, it seems obvious, but let's look a little closer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about New Testament Lord, and I'm going to talk about the Greek word uh, kurios. Kind of sounds like curious, but curious. Um, this word is used to show authority, and it's also show, it's to show God and Jesus, but it's also for officials, for teachers, for landowners and bosses. Can you imagine tomorrow morning walking into work and, and talking to your boss and say, what would you have me do today, Lord? It'd probably look like you're, like you're crazy. I don't know. It may give you a promotion. But uh, what about parents? See, parents, it was customary for a child to use uh, the same word to show respect to a parent. Um, that'll, that'll be the day when my kids call me Lord, right? Uh, but it's true. And actually, in most places in the New Testament where you see the, Lord, the word sir, um, it's actually the word curious. 
Um, and you Bible scholars and grammar experts out there and watching online can correct me on how I pronounce that later. Uh, but to but distinguish between Jesus and God and everyone else, uh, the English translators use the word sir or master in the New Testament, okay? So 1 Peter 3.6, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. So you think, to get my kids to call me Lord, my wife surely ain't going to call me Lord, right? But it's true. So if we profess that Jesus is Lord, then we voluntarily take the position of his servant. And there's that word, serve. The root word of servant is serve. So remember what the mold was? The mold was our selfishness. So being a servant is the complete opposite. You've got selfish ambitions, desires, and then you've got servanthood, right? Now our servant-master relationship has got to be first in our lives. We've got to get a grip on what that servant-master relationship is supposed to look like. Now note, I didn't say our slave-master relationship. I said servant-master relationship. So why am I spending all this time talking about one little word? Because do not miss this. What is the difference between a servant and a slave? See, they both serve their master, right? They both serve their master to the best of their ability. But don't miss this. A servant has a choice. You have a choice today. You have a choice to serve him, a choice to submit to his will. You have a choice to study and learn his word, to answer the calling he has for your life. Choose to serve the Lord because let me tell you, if you're not willing to serve the Lord, then the truth is it wouldn't surprise me if there are many areas in your life that has mold. Now that we have our servant-master relationship underneath our belts, now we can move on to number two under section B, which is serving people's physical needs. Did you know there are approximately 150 million homeless people throughout the world? To put this into perspective, if you took all the population of Canada and all the population of Mexico and added them together, it would roughly equal the number of homeless people living around the world. But that still doesn't compare to the about 1.6 billion people around the world who are living in inadequate locations, housing, and situations. You've heard it time and time again. More than half of the world's population live on more than or less than $2.50 a day. Our minimum wage is three times more than that. But let's be fair. There are a lot of poor, poor countries around the world. And it's not easy to reach all of them. But what about the 10,000 homeless right here in North Carolina? It's important to note that Jesus met the physical needs of his people. In John 6, he feeds 5,000 before even giving a message, before preaching, before even speaking to the people about the things of God. He met the physical needs and we should do the same. James 2, 14 through 16 tells us, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? There are real people 
throughout this community and throughout the world who are dealing with real problems, who are struggling and battling to climb out of their circumstances, to make better for themselves, but they take the next hit. And the next problem, let's take the example of a a loving husband and a wife who becomes ill. And then the next health issue. And the next hospital visit. Next death. Next, the medical bill. And then the next medical bill. And then the next medical bill. And the next, the eviction. And then the next shelter. And the next shelter. And the next shelter. And then prison bars. Because... He broke in to somewhere to survive the cold. We are fools to believe that it couldn't happen to you or to me. Serve the physical need. I understand and uh, agree with a lot of policy, local policy and uh, government policy uh, when it comes to serving homeless. And I believe, I understand the the notion that if we continue to help them, continue to give and give, they're never going to help themselves. However, you do not know the background. You do not know the situation until you get to know the person and you serve the physical need. Once and only once we've met the physical need, we can do number three and serve the spiritual need. We should make every effort in our power to meet the spiritual needs of the people that God has placed in our path. Did you know there are more than 4,000 religions around the world? People follow almost anything. There's a religion that follows and believes in worshiping UFOs. There's a church of the flying spaghetti monster. I don't know. There's a church that is the world's anti-human religion. Its slogan is, save the planet, kill yourself. I don't know what their tithes and offerings look like, but it can't be very much. And, uh, and for you Star Wars uh, fans out there, there is Jediism. Yeah, they actually follow the fictional teachings of the Jedi and believe that the Force is real. Yeah, so there's always that out there. Uh, In addition to these, uh, and Buddhism and Hinduism, there's a lot of confusedism out there. Would you agree? And it's our calling to to serve the spiritual need by offering them Jesus. But this this area, if we're being completely honest, makes us a little nervous, right? It's okay. Uh, What if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't give a good answer? Well, how are you going to know it unless you try? I promise you God will give you every word that needs to be spoken if you're speaking it in his name. But let's just say you freeze up, right? It happens. Say you get asked a question, you go straight to deer in the headlights. I don't know. It happens. (laughs) Happens to the best of us. But is that going to keep you from trying again? See, we are not called to be closet Christians. There is no such thing as closet Christianity. We are called to be courageous We are called to have those hard conversations. We're called called to serve the spiritual need by having the hard conversations with our coworkers, with our families, and with strangers. And it may be uncomfortable at first, but is it going to keep you from speaking the truth and serving the spiritual need? Because it may just keep someone from heaven. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's God and God alone 
that bring salvation. I promise you, when it comes to your day and you're standing in glory and you turn to the right, to the Jedi to your right and start up a conversation, that's not going to happen because he's not going to be there. When you turn to the Hindu to your left and, and try to start up a conversation, it's not going to happen because he's not going to be there. Do you understand the seriousness of that? Serve the spiritual needs. Serve the emotional needs. Number four. People who are hurting uh, physically are normally easy to spot, right? Whether it be a homeless person or somebody who has a, uh, a physical uh, issue, medical issue, it's normally pretty apparent. However, emotional needs aren't always so evident. And it's unfortunate because they're probably more so than physical needs. Nearly one in five adults suffer from some type of mental illness in a given year. One in five. People deal with depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar, dementia, ADHD, OCD, PTSD. There are people in this room right now who are dealing with some of these issues. And Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Look, I understand you're not a counselor, but we can all listen. Being a minister of the gospel doesn't make me a licensed counselor either but I can listen. And like the proverb says, I can offer guidance. Guidance rooted in biblical truth and guidance coming from a loving heart. We can all listen to each other and share our burdens with one another. It doesn't take a degree or professional certificate or license to hear someone's heart, to listen to their story and to hear their pain, to listen to their suffering. You want to show someone you really care? I mean, really care for them and will be there for them in times of trouble? And just show up and listen. As a pastor, I really do try my best to encourage people to serve. And specifically, like Scott was saying, serve within the church. So number five, serve the church body need. For just a second, we get to focus on us, right? We get to focus on the brothers and sisters as it applies to us. And so far, the physical, spiritual, emotional needs all apply to us. Um, but I really try to get people involved in serving different ministry areas uh, within the church. So for this section, I really just want scriptures to speak for themselves. Is that okay with you guys? Galatians 5.13. Y'all ready? We're going to run through this. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but... Not to use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown for him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. I think we've already heard that one once today. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. There's the problem again, right? There's the, there's the rot. 
Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Galatians 2.6, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional, everyone in this room is responsible for everyone in this room. Let me say that again. Everyone in this room is responsible for everyone in this room. I've seen people leave the church because leadership didn't notice they were missing for a few Sundays. I've seen people become upset because no one called them when they became ill. I've witnessed people's hearts become hardened because no one visited them in the hospital. And I've seen people turn their backs on the church and on God because no one helped them in times of financial struggle. So let me be the first to say that I'm sorry. Let me be the first to say that it is our leadership's desire here at Connections to be there for you, not just in times of peace, but in times of trouble. We exist to serve you, and I'm sorry we can't always be available. I apologize for not meeting your need if you're one of those in this room. But what I ask of all of you is for your help. It was not God's design for the church for only a handful of members, a few given members or ministry leaders to serve the entire congregation. Just the other week, I received an email letting me know of some people um, whose needs uh, have been missed. And I'm greatly appreciative for this information. But what I really want us to get a hold of today is that if you find out a brother or sister is struggling Whatever it may be, let us know. Let us know how we can help and serve and pray for that person. But I want you to take the initiative to serve the person to the best of your ability. Connect groups. If somebody stumbles and somebody's struggling in your connect group, do you call one of us or do you take care of it? Do you rally around that person? Does your whole group just come around them, surround them, and help that person, help serve that person, whatever the need may be? Physical, spiritual, emotional. Of course you do. That's your brothers and sisters. Everyone in this room is responsible for everyone in this room. Serve the church body. Serve in ministry areas. It doesn't matter what it is. Child care. Cleaning crew. Security crew. Cutting the grass. Anybody else have a lawnmower in here? Trust me, we need someone to cut the grass. It's that simple, guys. Serve the church body. Serve the people in the body. And lastly, number six on your outline is serve the mission. This has got to be the most quoted scripture in my life, which is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All right, so a little interaction. By a show of hands, and when, and when you raise them, leave them up. By a show of hands, in your lifetime, who in this room has been pulled over by a police officer? All right, y'all are terrible. Okay, leave them up. Leave them up. All right, only put them down if this does not apply to you. Who in this room, when asked for your license and registration, gave it to them? 
Okay, we had like one or two people who like, you know, trying to fight the police in here. Okay, all right, you put your hands down. Why did you give them your license and registration? <laughs> because they weren't really asking you, were they? <laughs> because if you was to say no, they're probably going to jack you out of the car, right? And you don't want to be the guy on the concrete because you didn't hand them your license. The same is true here for what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. He's not asking you to serve the mission. He's not suggesting to you. He's not saying, hey, when you have time, hey, when you feel like it, he's saying, go. Serve the mission. Whether it's here or abroad, you are to make disciples. Serve the mission. If I asked you, uh, if I asked you, to leave tomorrow with me and, and jump on a plane and go to Honduras, uh, you, you probably look at me like I was crazy, right? I don't blame you, but what if I asked you to refocus your finances and your schedules in a way that would prioritize the mission next year? Would you do it? If I asked you to take a leaf off of a given tree, would you do it? Because that's, that's a supportive team this year. In addition to what you're going to do to prioritize what God has given you so you can serve the mission, help others serve the mission around you. Serve the church body. See how it's a perpetual will. You know, in this home renovation, this is kinda, I'm kind of like the demo team today, right? And the demo team's not well-liked. The demo team, normally you start tearing into walls and you, you, then you find a, some mold and then you tear into another wall and you find the next problem and that leads to the next problem and the next thing you know, it's, it's going to cost you $50,000 just to, to do some heart renovation, right? The demo team doesn't receive the most glory, but thus far we've identified the need for renovation, which is our selfishness. We've now Walk through each room as it pertains to serving. We've knocked down the walls and we see the mold. It lays bare in front of us. Something that's been lying underneath the surface for many years, gone unchecked, is now causing issues and problems within our lives when it comes to service. We see that when it comes to serving our Lord, the physical the spiritual, and the church body, along with the mission. We've got some mold. And as Scott makes his way back up to give us a plan towards restoration, I pray that you would put on your tool belts as he gives you the tools towards restoration. Thank you. The last point on your outline is to get your serve on. Get your serve on. So I don't know how you perceived, I don't know how you received this message today. It's probably one of two ways. You either think that at this point we're going to pass volunteer forms out. Some of you are waiting on that to happen. It's not. Or you've identified one or more areas in your life where you need a heart transplant. So as the worship team comes I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The only tool I know to give you 
the only path from here that I know to, to pursue is to pray and ask God what you need to do. You see, I, I, as I said earlier, I don't know why that transplant took place on the time and the day and the hour that it did, but God knows. And so my prayer and the prayer of this leadership team and pastoral team before you got here today was that God would perform a heart transplant on some of you. Only you know what's going on. Some of you faithfully serve and pour your lives into other people, and, and that may be exactly what you're called to do. And so, although it was a great message, really wasn't for you today. Or maybe he's calling you to do more. Maybe the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart today to the point where you realize, like I was, you have sat year after year, service after service, but today is a surgery day. Maybe you're like our friends Todd and Rachel, who at some point in their lives realized God was calling them to go and serve in another nation to people who are now waiting on them to get there, and they're putting those thoughts and those prayers to action and taking that step. I don't, I don't know what he's calling you to do, but as Pastor Terry said, I know that he is calling you to serve in some capacity. So maybe your heart is cold towards this whole thing this morning because you're like, y'all are just trying to get some more people to come and work in children's ministry. You're right. We are. We don't have enough. Maybe you're just calling us pastor because you need more people to sign up to clean the building. You're right. We do. Maybe we need more people out of this church to step up and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to another nation. Maybe we need you to walk across the street to your neighbor's house and just mention the name of Jesus, whatever it is this morning that he has called you to serve and to do you need to do it. You see, we're not trying to necessarily bolster our volunteer group. That would be great. That would be a, a, a wonderful add-on to this. But just as in the case of tithes and giving, this is something that God has commanded us to do. And what we're trying to do as a leadership team and as pastors at this church is give you the information you need to open this area of your life up. So I just simply ask you this with every eye closed and head bowed across the room. Is there anybody brave enough this morning to pop up a hand and say, Pastor, in this closing time, don't forget about me. I just feel a heart transplant going on and I need to do, I need to do something for Christ. Whatever it is, hand, anybody? Anybody brave enough? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up. Anybody else? Just say, Pastor, I, in this area of service, I, I know there's some things that God's called me to, but I haven't taken that step yet, but I'm feeling that Holy Spirit of God this morning calling me to move in that direction. Would you all just stand with me across the room, whether you raised your hand or not? I want to pray for all of us. And again, the only tool, the only path I could possibly offer you 
is for you to ask God what it is that he wants you to do. And then I would ask you to do it and do it with all your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mysterious ways that are higher than our ways. I thank you this morning, God, that when we try to figure you out, you sort of just blow our minds. I thank you this morning, God, that we can't always put it all together and understand what it is that you want us to do. Sometimes, as in the case of serving, you just ask us to be obedient. And so, God, as you perform surgery all over this room and those watching on the Internet this morning, as you go in and do what only you can do, and you transform and you pull out our hearts of stone and place in us a heart of flesh and place your spirit inside of us. Now, God, I pray that as you do that, you give us the boldness and the courage and the gumption to follow through. What have you called me to do, God? What have you called this brother and this sister and this brother and this sister all across this room? What have you called us to do? You've called us to serve you. And in doing so, you've called us to serve your focal point, and that is people. Make it clear to us this morning, God, whatever it is. I know in a moment like this, you can put thoughts into the hearts and the minds of people and, and call them to be missionaries. You can call them to be the neighborhood leader in a spiritual sense. You can call them to be a connect group leader. You can call them to do anything, God. And so I ask you not to just place it in there in a gentle way so they don't know for sure, but hit them over the head with it this morning, God, and make it clear to all of us what you would have us to do to serve in your kingdom. And as we serve in your kingdom, we glorify your name this morning, that you would receive all of our glory and that you would be glorified in all of your majestic and mighty ways. In Jesus' precious name, we all pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.